I am Sandra Ezekwesili. Should police reform look like? I feel like by now you say that with me every time it is five o'clock. What should police reform look like? Yes, I'm still on this subject. I'm still on this matter because we all need to be able to make more informed conversations about it. When you're talking about it in your house, in your office, in the bar, at the barber shop, wherever you're going, you need to be able to talk about this intelligently we've talked about um, reforming um, the police we've talked about reforming day-to-day operations today we're going to wrap up the conversation about um, uh, about operations in general and if we have time we're also going to start talking about discipline uh, uh, and that brings me to our big hard fact today the police act requires every police station to keep exact records of every action taken by its police officers in their daily duty. Did you know that? The Police Act requires every police station to keep exact records of every action taken by its police officers in their daily duty. Now, I wonder if that is true about the police station nearest to you. I asked that question yesterday when I told you about the charge room, remember? Remember that uh, the law says that citizens must have 24-7 access to the police station's charge room. And some of you said it doesn't happen. When you called yesterday, you said to me, Sandra, you know they happen, no? Right? Now, I'm asking if you think that the police stations that are closest to you are keeping proper records. We're going to talk today about why those records are important. We started that conversation yesterday, but uh, we're going to delve into more detail today. We're not going to stop there. We're going to break down the day-to-day operations of the police as described on paper to figure out all the areas where um, dysfunction happens. And then we're going to take a look up at concrete policy ideas that uh, could counter that dysfunction. Joining me yet again to talk about this is Chief Andy Oboforibo, who is an executive for a fintech company, uh, but he spent over 10 years as an M&E consultant for the World Bank. Welcome back once again to Hard Facts, Chief Oboforibo. Thank you, Sandra. Hmm. Lagos, as you listen to the show, of course, uh, give us a call and tell us about your experience with the police on the street or at the station. Have you ever had your rights violated uh, by the police officers? Now, before we start talking about records, Chief, let's talk a bit more about the charge room, right? What happens if police officers refuse to let uh, the public access the charge room? By the way, before you answer, let me remind you, Lagos, that if you want to listen to uh, this series, remember it's a series that we started one week ago, last week Thursday. We started this series last week Thursday. And um, the very first episode was about recruitment. Now you need to listen to each of um, of the sectors that we've addressed about uh, police reforms so that you can fully um, understand what we're doing here today. So please check out our podcast, Hard Facts with Sandra Ezekwesli. Google it, Hard Facts with Sandra Ezekwesli. It's a podcast. It's available on different streaming services. And then you can go ahead and listen to the previous episodes so that today's episode will make sense. But yes, back to you, Chief. What yeah. happens if police officers refuse to let the public access the charge room? How does the public enforce this particular right? 
Okay. So, as things are currently written in, in the Police Act mm. and in other aspects of, of the laws governing police work, mm. there is no measure in place. There is no mechanism in place for recourse. Mm. If the police in a particular station deny the public access to the charge room, it's not spelt out anywhere what the public should do in that situation. However, we can extrapolate based on the measures or the mechanisms in place within the police system itself. So the idea is if the DPO at a police station does something wrong or breaks the rules in some way, mm. one is meant to report that DPO to the CP in that state who to whom the DPO reports. Mm. If the CP in a state is misbehaving, then you report the CP to the zonal command. But if the DIG at the zonal command is, um, is also, sorry, the AIG at the zonal command is also misbehaving, then you take the matter up to, you know, the national command for headquarters and to the IG. So that's the reporting structure, the reporting hierarchy. Now, I leave it as an exercise to the listener to determine or to decide if they think that as things currently work in the police, that a DPO, oh, sorry, a CP will countenance the public coming to complain that a DPO in a particular station denied them access to the charge room. So you see, this is already <laughs> a major problem that you have mm. with these rules and, and these rights that we have mm. in law when it comes to the police. Uh, because they all require us to come to the police to for immediate redress. Mm. Now, if the police is not agreeable, if the police are refusing to enforce those rules in-house, you always have the option of going to court, right. Right? right? But Sandra, you and I both know the way the court system is set up. So, so let's say, for instance, my brother is is in police net he has been held at a particular station or something right. and i want access to the charge room and i'm being access uh, denied that access i try to reach out to the cp and the cp is not responding to me now the somebody who is looking at it you know from an academic point of view someone who is inside a university somewhere as a professor of police affairs like one of your callers called me yesterday <laughs> that person will say well Go to court. Yeah. But you and I both know that by the time I go to court and file my case and get my permanent case number and get my permanent case number to the table of the clerk of the court mm. and the registrar, mm. and before the registrar will give me a, a, a courtroom, and before the judge or the magistrate will be on seat and schedule me on the docket, mm. before I can even go and apply and get an injunction, we're talking about weeks or months. Meanwhile, my brother may have been moved from that police cell to Akuzu South. So you see that these rights are there on paper, enshrined in law, but the mechanism for enforcing them for the citizen 
is lacking. So this brings us to the issue of how to direct complaints against the police. I mean, we've got the uh, uh, Police Complaints Bureau, for instance, right? We have the Human yes. Rights Desk at some police stations. We yes. also have the PSC. Are these not reliable uh, mechanisms? What do you think about these mechanisms that we already have? Uh, good question. Again, it comes back to this on paper versus in practice issue, which is becoming like a very common refrain as we talk about police reform. Mm. So on paper, all these things exist. It's written right there that every police station should have a human rights um, desk. That's actually enshrined in standing orders, regulations that the IG has put out. So they're supposed to be these offices in every police station. So anybody can walk in and say, oh, I've, there has been a human rights violation against me by the police. Mm. You can go to any station and report. That's one. Two, like you said, the police complaint um, bureau, that one is not in every station, but some local governments have them. Every state is supposed to have at least one office like that. You're supposed to be able to go there and report these issues of, you know, your procedural issues. Police didn't allow me to access the charge room. Hmm. Police are not allowing me to see records. Police have held my brother and they're refusing to even um, acknowledge that he's in their custody. Hmm. All those kind of things are supposed to be able to be taken to the PCB. Hmm. Then, like you also mentioned, the Police Service Commission, hmm. which at the end of the day is the ultimate arbiter and supervisor of police affairs. Hmm. So also you're supposed to be able, as a citizen, in a dire need to reach out to them. But let's talk about why it's not happening. First of all, let's start with the uh, let's start with the human rights desk at a police station. Okay, Sandra. Now imagine a situation where I'm at a Aja police station and they violate my human rights. Right. Now what I'm being told to do is to go within that same Aja police station, just go to the next building and say, "Excuse me, right next door." Your colleagues just violated my human rights. I need you to do something about it. Right. I, I wonder how that will work. I wonder how that works out for the person reporting, whether they won't end up with a second violation of their human rights in the space of a day. Right. And the same thing, even if you go to another police station. So I move from Aja and I go to Lekki police station and I go there and I say, oh, down the road, your colleagues just violated my human rights. And the person I'm reporting to is saying, eh... Then they violate human rights for the <laughs> sorry. Meanwhile, behind him, in the room behind him, hmm. some other unfortunate fellow is getting his human rights violated. So how likely is he to take my complaint seriously when he himself and his colleagues in that station are doing the same thing? So, you know, you can't report a... A, a, a violator to another violator. Right. It, it, it doesn't work. So that's why these human rights desks, while on paper they sound like a good idea, don't actually work on a day-to-day. So that's one. Two, the um, Police Complaints Bureau is the same thing. In fact, the, the most common thing you hear about the Police Complaints Bureau is who won't go there? So you want to go to the Police Complaints Bureau, show your face, give them your name, and complain that police did something to you. You know, the idea of reporting the police to the police, uh, it, it seems a bit counterproductive, if not dangerous. Hmm. And then now that leaves us with the PSC, the Police Service Commission. Okay. The problem with the PSC, as we discussed previously, is they don't really have a robust presence. They are not 
very active in every state. The, the PSC Act, the Police Service Commission Act, which creates them or, or rather gives them life, mm-hmm. mandates them to create committees, um, standing committees, that can help them do some of their work. Okay. So one of the applications of this is that, in practice, there should be standing committees located all over the country. So if I have a problem in Lagos, I don't need to go all the way to the PSC's main commission in Abuja. There should be a committee on the island, another one on the mainland, another one in, you know, that I can go to and report that issue to. So, but that's lacking. So you see already that these bodies, while on paper they are set up to channel our complaints, they are not really robust enough or independent enough, as the case may be, to do that job. Okay. All right. If you just joined the show, we're talking about uh, what police operations look like on paper and how we could we could begin to get them to work the way they're supposed to work uh, on paper. Now, Chief, um, you talked quite a bit about different types of records that a police station is meant to keep. Now, on paper, I, I feel like I, I've said on paper too many times today. <laughs> <laughs> but right now... What mechanisms are in place to make sure the police actually keep those records? <laughs> so we're back to that same problem again. The problem is those mechanisms are not clearly spelled out. And where they are spelled out, the mechanisms rely on the police itself to enforce them. So the police station is meant to keep records of all police activity in its area of service. It's meant to keep record of all incidents that the public reports to the police, all complaints. It's meant to keep record of all the outcomes of these investigations and the methodology used. Now, if the police station does not keep those records, the body that automatically becomes aware is the police command above it. So, the state command is aware of all the records being kept in all the stations in the state. And if those records are not being duplicated and sent up to the state command, the state command is the one that is aware of the gap and is meant to take action. In fact, that's actually a grounds for uh, disciplinary action or at the very least for, um, you know, it's supposed to count against the station's commanding officer when it comes time to evaluate them for promotion because it's it's part of their job. And if they're not doing it properly, it's meant to work against them moving up the ranks. Mm. But like we said from the very first day, the reason why the police does not police itself is that you have institutional corruption in the police force, where police officers habitually and de rigueur cover for each other. When you have a situation like that, you can't expect a senior police officer to take the initiative and do the right thing and penalize a junior officer for not doing the right thing. But we don't have any mechanism spelled out in law that 
empowers people outside of the police to ensure that those records are kept. We have two of these two two external mechanisms in a way. Uh, I would call them pseudo mechanisms. The first one is the police service commission itself. Now the PSC has the power to oversee everything the police does. So on paper, the PSC has the right to say, DPO of Aja Police Station, why are you not keeping um, faithful records of everything that's happening in your area? This, we're going to make sure it comes up when your record is being reviewed for promotion. The PSC has that power. But again, like we said before, since the PSCT doesn't have a robust presence in every state, in every local government, it's hard for them to exercise that power to really scrutinize whether police officers are keeping proper records. And so, even though that power resides in them, it is almost never used. So that's one mechanism. Mm. A separate mechanism that also, a second pseudo-mechanism is the Freedom of Information Act. Because technically, since the law dictates that police stations should keep these records, and since those records are public records, police is, of course, a government agency, any citizen has the right to make a freedom of information request to obtain those records. Now, the question becomes, if I make such a freedom of information request, Will the police comply? And if the police do not comply, will the courts and the federal government cooperate with me to compel the police to comply? The answer to those two questions so far, based on track record, are a resounding no. Hmm. You know, yesterday we talked, uh, we, we started talking about digitizing uh, the record keeping process. A caller mentioned it. Somebody called in yes- to the show yesterday and mentioned it. By the way, I have to say again and again, um, if you would like to catch up on the previous conversations we've had on this same topic, please search for Hard Facts with Sandra Ezekwesli. Uh, the podcast is available and you can listen to all the episodes where we've discussed the different parts of the police system um, where dysfunction can occur and what we can do to mitigate the dysfunction. And today we're talking operations and we're talking specifically record keeping. You expressed support, Chief Obofariba, when that caller called in and mentioned it. But when I look at it, right, I already see three problems. So... All right, so we're going to have to call back Chief. Something's going on uh, with the network and uh, we seem to have lost connection to him. But we'll call him back as quickly as we can so that we'll continue the, the conversation. So, um, like, like I was saying, um, I, I already know, I already see three problems, right? I already see three issues. So, first of all, there's the funding problem and then there's the will to do it. Um, uh, from the part of the police. And then there's there are legal loopholes, right? So, for example, remember what happened with electronic voters uh, and uh, electronic, electronic uh, voter registers and card readers. The Supreme Court basically said the only type of register the law recognizes is paper-based, not computer-based, right? 
I can see that same type of thing happening with police records, especially if interests inside government don't want it. So how do we overcome these challenges? That's a question that I'm going to have Chief Obofurbo answer for us as soon as we get him back on the line. Chief back on the line. Oh no, we seem to have lost the connection to him yet again. Ah no, what's going on? All right, let's call him back one more time. I don't know what's happening with the networks, but yeah, we'll keep trying until, um, you know, that doesn't happen anymore. So let's try again. Mm hmm. Back on the line, Chief? Yes, you do, Sandra. Sorry about that. Oh, no worries. <laughs> so, yes, I was asking before you left. I don't know if you kept listening to the radio um, while I was asking my question. But I was talking about the example we had with electronic voter uh, registers and card readers. Right. Where we had the Supreme Court basically say that the only type of register the law recognizes is paper-based. I mentioned that because I remember yesterday when a caller called in to talk about digitizing records, you supported it. But then I went home and I thought about it and I could see, number one, a funding problem. Number two, the political will to do it from the part of the of the police. And number three, the legal loopholes, which is where that example with card readers com- uh, comes in. I can see that kind of thing happening with police records as well, especially if interests inside the government don't want it. So how do we overcome these challenges? <laughs> Okay, you bring on the hot seat here. But I think uh, what we have to realize, if we're talking honestly about police reform, is the same thing if we're talking honestly about electoral reform, which is we must expect resistance with, from within the system. So you must, or, or Nigerians, and I'm speaking here, as a policy person, as a policy formulation and implementation person. Uh, And when you're uh, formulating policy and you're talking about implementation, you you cannot divorce yourself from the political environment in which this implementation is meant to take place. And the fact of the matter is government in Nigeria, regardless of party, regardless of level, 
it tends to have a vested interest in not letting these policies work. So if you hand it over to government and say, implement these policies, make it work, we see that uh, digitizing the, um, the record keeping of the police will improve police um, performance in XYZ ways. So please go ahead and do it. Uh, you will end up with what we call, uh, in technical terms, uh, on a long thing. <laughs> you know, because it just won't happen. So the only way these types of things happen is if there is sustained pressure from outside of government on government. It only happens if the Nigerian people as a whole say, yes, you know what, we want this particular reform, we want this particular policy direction, and we are willing to apply pressure until it is implemented. If All that right. doesn't happen, you don't get you don't you don't get the policy. Okay, hold that thought. We'll come back to you in a bit. Let's take a quick break. Welcome back to Hard Facts with Sandra Ezekwisi. Lagos, here we are talking to Chief Andy Obofurbo, who is an exec with a fintech organization. He also spent a decade consulting for the World Bank, and so policy is uh, his strong suit. Now, people are calling to uh, tell me one or two things about the things that Chief Obofurbo has said. So let's uh, take two calls and then um, head right back into the conversation. 0700-993-993-993-0700. 993-993-993. Chief Horrible said the way to get this thing to work is to put pressure from outside the police. So you who's listening to the show, um, it's up to you to pressure the government um, with the demands that you want and have them um, attend to those specific demands. Am I right, Chief? That's exactly right. Sir. Okay. Let's take a call. 99.3. Hello. Ah, sorry about that. Call back if you can. Hello. Good evening. Hello, good evening. What's your name, sir? My name is Joseph Emmanuel Chena. Thanks for calling us. Go ahead. All right. Uh... All right. Sorry about that. Call back if you can. Hello? Hello? Okay. I, I, I think people are just trying to see if the number works. Yes, the number works. But Chief, let me come back to you, right? It yeah. sounds to me, based on what you've said, that the current laws and the regulations that we have give Nigerians a lot of oversight over police activity. The problem is enforcement. So from a policy position, what types of reforms would you advocate for making that enforcement easier? Okay, so, <clears throat> you know, um, um, policy is like, a, it's like an onion. It has many layers, right? Right, right. So the first layer is always how do you work within the current rules and get the best results with the current rules? Then you now go into the layers that deal with changing the rules. Because it's always harder to change rules than to adapt to the current rules. Right. So the first layer, working within current rules. Second layer is getting the police to change their operations by themselves with standing orders and, reg- and regulations. 
Then the third layer is changing the laws that govern the police, like the Police Act, Police, police Service Commission Act. Mm. And then the fourth and final layer is constitutional amendment. Okay. So all of those layers, at the end of the day, they all require pressure. Pressure from the people to the police and to government. Okay. Pressure on government and on the police. Okay. So no matter how you slice it, it all starts with pressure. Okay. People saying, we don't like how things are happening now. We want things to happen differently. So let me give you a, a concrete example, right? Mm -hmm. We've talked about the charge room. And we've said, you and I have a right to access the charge room. Right. Right? Right. Now, let's say on a particular day, the DPO or the charge room officer denies a human being, a Nigerian, access to the charge room. Mm -hmm. Here is something that can be done within the current framework, without changing any law, mm. without changing any rules. Imagine if after that happened, that person goes to his, the ballet, right? Yeah. Goes to the police community relations committee, right? Goes to just various committee groups, the youth leaders, a lot of, a whole bunch of people, right, who are not criminals. We all know these people as peaceful, respectable members of the community and goes to the local um, bar association, a few lawyers. They go down to that police station as a group and say, you are holding somebody here and you're not giving us access to the charge room to find out what is going on. What's the likelihood that the police will say, we are going to turn away all these people? It's not very high, actually. And I'm not saying this from a perspective of on paper. I'm talking about something that actually works right now. A lot of the time, even because, you know, you keep referring to me as chief and your bull forever. In my day-to-day -day life, I'm also a chief. And in my community, oftentimes, when the police misbehave or act in a way that is not legal within their framework, right. when the community members come together and go to the police station to tackle the police, the police will start what you call here in Lagos, Shalai. <laughs> then after the Shalai, after the long explanation, they will bow to the will of the public and do the right thing. So now... Imagine if in every community, in all 774 local government areas of Nigeria, Nigerians took a decision and said, okay, see these community leaders, see these people act active in the community. All of you be on standby. So that any time a police officer at the police station here denies people access to the charge room or denies people access to site police records about a particular case, we will mobilize a small contingent of people, 10 people, 20 people, to go down to the police room to say, you are breaking the law, look at the police act, we need you to open that charge room right now. Now imagine if people were sufficiently mobilized that this was what happened to police on a day-to-day -day basis, every day, we're just close marking the police like this. The police themselves, Sandra, will say, you know what, we don't need these people's wahala. We let's just start cooperating with them. So that's how you do that without even changing a single letter in a single rule or in a single law. That's one. 
Second layer, imagine if we, as a people, apply that same pressure to the police service commission. The young people have shown us what happens when you go out on the streets and peacefully demand for rights. Now imagine if Nigerians made that same peaceful demand of the police service commission to simply say, look, PSC, you are the one given the right by the constitution to check, monitor, and police the police on our behalf. But you are not doing your job. We need you right now to create committees. So because the PSC, like we said before, has the right to create committees to do the job of monitoring the police, right? Right. So imagine if we went, Nigerians as a group, and put pressure on the PSC and tell the PSC, set up one committee per local government, 774 of them, one committee per state to, to um, regulate them. So that's 36 or 37 if you count um, Abuja, the FCT. Right. Then now, remember those groups I told you about that are going to check each police station mm. with the community leaders, the ballers, the youth leaders, um, the lawyers, the local chamber of commerce, recognize citizens in the community. Mm -hmm. Now, let the PSC choose from among those people the membership of that LGA-based committee. So now, suddenly, that committee is empowered by law because the law of the PSC Act gives it power to now checkmate the police station in that LGA on a day-to-day -day basis. You don't need to change any law, Sandra, for this to happen. This can be done today. I see. So, as you see, we already have the powers in place. If we decide to extend the functionality of the PSC by making it, compelling the PSC to empower the community. It sounds like you can't really talk about reforming police operations without talking about reforming uh, police discipline and punishment. Because the only way to make sure police does the right thing is to make sure that um, they get rewarded for it or punished for it um, uh, or punished for doing the wrong thing if they do the wrong thing. Uh, now, uh, on Monday, we're going to talk about discipline, right? Yes. But can you quickly talk about what steps Nigerians can do to tie these two things together, operations and discipline? What can Nigerians do? Because, um, I mean, you've, you've said that for as long as the police has uh, to report the police to the police, the rules will not be followed. And so um, if people want a change, the, 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 the citizens have to take action, right? Uh, as far as a policy, as far as policies are concerned, as far as um, oversight is concerned, that one is in the power, in the hands of the citizens. Right. Right? So um, talk to me about what steps Nigerians can take to tie operations and discipline. Alright, let me start by saying, first of all, that you are exactly right. Uh, you can't talk about operations and optimal operations without talking about discipline. If we will, because discipline is the stick uh, promotions and rewards are the carrot 
and it's the carrot and stick that keeps any institution working properly. It's the carrot and stick that keeps any individual within the institution working properly. And you're also correct to point out that the problem there is the police are the ones being called upon to discipline the police. Uh, now, you and I are not saying anything new, right? Mm. The people who wrote the Constitution, the people who wrote the Police Act, and the people who wrote the Police Service Commission Act already knew that if you rely on the police to police the police, mm. it will fail. That's why they created the Police Service Commission, and that's why they created the Police Council, and that's why they spelled out in the PSC Act and in the Police Act that the PSC and the Police Council will have the ultimate say when it comes to discipline and reward. So what they were doing there is removing the ultimate say from the police and putting it in the hands of these institutions that are removed from the police, right? Right. Now, that's our favorite phrase, Sandra, on <laughs> paper. So the question now must become, how come this separation of discipline from the police that exists on paper does not exist in practice. And it comes back to the point I made before about the Police Service Commission, mm. which is that the Police Service Commission is almost like an appendix. It almost completely exists only in Abuja. It doesn't have enough tentacles. Um, in local parlance, um, you know the serious ground. I see. Because, or, or to use political parlance, it doesn't have a structure. If you are... So, Sana, let's put it this way. The Police Service Commission has an appointed chairman appointed by the president. It has council members also appointed by the president. All of them, plus the chairman, are approved by the Senate, right? Mm -hmm. So they take office and they are... They are, they are they meet in Abuja. Right. They have a secretariat in Abuja there too, with some staff. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. Now, do they have offices in all the 36 states? Do they have offices in all the 774 local government areas? They are meant to. And they are meant to create committees of appointed people, not civil servants, appointed people that will oversee the affairs at that state level, an LGA level, you know what I mean, and what level. Right. So in the same way that that small group of like 12 people or less are supervising things at a national level. Mm -hmm. They're supposed they are to have that everywhere. Good. Yes. Mm -hmm. Now, they've not done that. And they will. if you talk to them, if you talk to the chairman of the PSC, he will tell you that the problem is funding, right, and mm -hmm. these other issues. Right. Now, fine, let's keep that aside for a moment. But here's what that means in principle. The chairman of the police service commission is meant to sign off on any disciplinary issues that happen in the police, right? right. So now imagine that a DPO in a, in a police station in Okrika local government, my local government, right. does something wrong. Now, the CP decides not to punish him. The records may even be there and all of that, right? The complaints. But now, when promotion comes, it's time to promote that DPO. Mm -hmm. The chairman of the Police Service Commission in Abuja 
has a final say in that promotion. Okay. Right? Okay. But now, he is meant to go and find out everything that should be found out about that officer, and that should determine, should serve to determine whether that person goes is promoted or not. But right now, because the chairman of the Police Service Commission in Abuja doesn't have somebody in River State working for the commission who he can call or email and ask about the DPO in Okrika local government. What ends up happening? What ends up happening is he calls the CP in River State and says, CP, these people that you, you have brought, this list of people you brought for promotion, including the DPO in Okrika, there's a the work and the CP will say, Yes, or God, the Sabi, they work well, well. Best officers in the land. And then the chairman of the PSC signs off on the promotion. So what ends up happening is, even though the PSC exists, the PSC is separate from the police, and the PSC has power to act independently of the police on paper, in practice, the PSC is relying on the police as its eyes and ears when it's time to evaluate police officers. So now, the solution is for the PSC to set up these subcommittees at LGA and state level to do this work. But what they keep saying is they don't have the resources to do it. Well, do, which, do they have the resources to do it? Because you say they keep saying, do they? Do you think they have the resources to do it? Um... I don't know if you saw what just... Um, I saw something right before um, you called me. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one, a, a member of the House of Reps, Honorable mm-hmm. Alabin, was talking about uh, what the merit com- National Merit Awards Committee and um, Commission and how they used all their internally generated revenue to fund travel. So I wouldn't be surprised to find out that the Police Service Commission is also receiving some money that can be used to set up these satellite committees, and it's also being used for something frivolous. So that's my first response. But even if they weren't, right, even if they don't have the funding, what they are meant to do is to raise alarm that this is our job under the law, but government is not giving us the resources, the funding, to staff ourselves fully to do that job. If that's the case, they should tell us the public. And then that's where we, the public, come in again, where I talked about before, that nothing works without external pressure, right? Right. So at that point, the public now has to open their eyes. The budget is out. People need to look at how much money is being dedicated to staffing subcommittees of the Police Service Commission in every LGA. Is it enough? If it's not enough, then pressure has to be put on everybody's House of Reps member, everybody's senator. Don't pass a budget that does not include this funding. Yeah, but but, but, but you're always the one who's talking about Nigeria doesn't have money. So where will that money come from? Now, that's a great question. But at the end of the day, um, Sandra, all of us run households, yeah. right? Uh-huh. And unless you are one of the like richest 1% of Nigerians, we can't all afford everything we need or want on our monthly salaries. Mm-hmm. So we have all learned in our homes to trade off. 
We don't want, we want this and we want that, but we can only afford one. What would you trade off? What would you trade off? I personally... If you were in charge of the budget, what would you trade off? Okay, if I were in charge of the budget, um, one of the first things I would start to do, of course, this comes a whole new conversation, (laughs) but a lot of government offices that currently exist shouldn't exist. So you can afford to close, like there are so many, let me, I'll throw out one at random. Um... The aeronautical and aerospace research, look, we're not going to space anytime soon. Let's forget that. <laughs> and, um, like, anybody who is saying we need more funding for space research is a thief. So um, let's forget about putting a Nigerian on the moon and let's think about putting a Nigerian in the police service commission in my LGA. Let's start there. Okay. Let's uh, pause there and uh, take messages from uh, Twitter uh, from Twitter and WhatsApp. WhatsApp is 080-959-75805. Alex from Victoria Island said uh, says, I've had a case of my landlord locking me outside my compound for non-payment of rental balance. And upon reporting to the police for action, the human rights desk, which I would affirmatively say is used couldn't do anything. Rather, the police at the human rights desk told me to go and fight him physically. <laughs> and, they can, <laughs> and they can now come. I just walked away. Wow, Alex, quite a star. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, it's not funny. It's actually not funny. Yeah. Wow. What? Wow. Okay. Um, <laughs> so the... So the- the human rights desk of the police told him that they can't uphold his human rights, but if he should go and violate the other person's human rights, then they can now cope. Let me take a call. Um, yeah. 99.3. Hello. Hello. Uh, there's no one there. 99.3. Hello. Hello. How are you? What's your name? Olamide. Olamide, welcome. Go ahead. Oh, sorry about that. I'm so sorry. Call back if you can. 0700-993-993-993. Hello? Yeah, hello, Sandra. Good evening. Good evening. What's your name? Yeah, Chinonso. Chinonso, welcome. Go ahead. Chinonso, calling from Ikondo. Go ahead. Yeah, um, uh, I thank the guest with you there. Mm. I really love what you say. Um, you see, police reformation is very necessary in Nigeria because with what they are doing, I think they need to reshuffle everything from the head, starting from the IG down to the DIGs and the commissioners they have. Mm-hmm. If you need being for them to start the IG and bring in a new IG, I think the reformation will start from there. At least we'll have a new police system in Nigeria. At least that will help us. Okay. All right. Thank you for calling. 99.3. How are you? Sorry about that. Call back if you can. Hello? Hello, Sandra. Good evening. Good evening. What's your name, sir? My name is Francis. Calling from VI. Francis, welcome. Go ahead. Yeah, you are doing a great job, Sandra. Thank you, sir. And uh, and, uh, I appreciate your guest. I'll be following up on the interview. Um, He's doing quite well. And he's important. But the truth is that there's no any police reformation that will work without strong system. A system, uh, a system or a law that will be able to over, that will be able to question your action, even if you increase the salary, just like as your guest 
clearly stated yesterday. Mm. But if the system, the law, is not strong enough to hold the police accountable, I, I don't think there any reformation can work there. So let's work, not only the police, our system in general, from the presidency down to the governor, to the councillor, and to the state government. So, you know, the system is bad. Thank you, Sandra. Thank you so much for calling me. I honestly appreciate the phone call, um, sir. All right, let's take another call now. The final call and wrap up the show, 99.3. Hello, good evening. Good evening, sir. What's your name? Yeah. My name is uh, Amobi. Amobi, welcome. Very quickly, very quickly. One minute. Yes, ma'am. Uh, the, uh, the thing about that police uh, reform, reformation is that we only need to have a change of heart first before every other thing. Because if we are the same human being living inside this uh, country, Nigeria, I'm not sure that uh, some, uh, anything is going to work unless we have uh, we first of all have uh, our own uh, repentance of heart. Okay. All right. Yes. First of all, have our own repentance of heart, he says. Chief, is this an opinion you share? No, I disagree with that opinion 100%. Why? Look, um, if you're going to... I personally believe that full repentance will only come after the second coming of Christ and at the white throne judgment. <laughs> Before that, there is no such thing. You don't, you don't build systems expecting everybody to be an angel. You build systems expecting everybody to be a devil, but expecting that the system is strong enough to keep every devil in check. Now, so that's why I talk a lot about external pressure, right? Yeah. Because I assume that the courts are corrupt. Mm. I assume that Attorney General will, will protect police. Mm. I assume the courts will work slowly because the judges are overloaded. Right. I assume the judges will give bad bad judgment. Right. I assume the police will cover for each other and I assume the police service commission will not be efficient. And so that's why external pressure is important. It's important. All right, because Chief. see, at the end of the day, uh, yeah. I don't expect the everyday Nigerian to be good, but I expect everyday Nigerians not to want to be killed by police. And so I expect them to be able to join together and put pressure in order to preserve their own lives. Okay, let's leave it there. Chief Oboforibo is an executive with a fintech organization and he is also uh, somebody who consulted for the World Bank for at least one decade. And he's been doing this series with us here on Hard Facts. You can listen again on our podcast, Hard Facts with Sandra Ezekwasili. You can also uh, listen to the concluding episode on Monday when we talk specifically about discipline. I'm Sandra Ezekwasili on social media, S Ezekwasili everywhere. And until tomorrow when I come and bring you the final edition of Hard Facts for the week, those were your Hard Facts, Lagos. Good night. Good night.